Welcome to the Calgary Ward 6 2021 virtual debate. While this debate is being held virtually via Zoom, we'd like to acknowledge that we are on the lands of the Treaty 7 territories and Region 3 of the Métis Nations. Participating Ward 6 candidates will square off in a debate about the issues posed by you, the residents of Calgary. Good evening. My name is Christopher Brown, the host of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, and tonight I will be your moderator. Prior to tonight's debate, we reached out to all candidates who were running for Ward 6 Councillor. All candidates were given the same information and the same details about tonight's debate. Participating candidates in today's debate are as followed in alphabetical order by last name, Lana Bentley and Richard Putzman. The candidates have agreed to tonight's debate rules and I will try my best to ensure that we keep on time and on schedule. Over the last two weeks, we have had over 75 submissions alone for tonight's debate. The candidates were not given the questions prior to tonight's debate, but were given the topics which include budget and taxes, snow removal, policing, economic recovery, businesses, and guidebook for greater communities. Now, for those watching on Zoom uh, via YouTube, I apologize. I will be bringing in the candidates here shortly, and this will be the last time you see me until my closing statement. So I will be bringing on the candidates now. There's Richard and Lana. Each candidate will have a one-minute opening statement. This will go in alphabetical order, as I said, by last name. Lana, one minute starts with you whenever you're ready. Good evening, everybody. Thank you, Chris, for hosting. My name is Lana Bentley, and I'm running to be your next counselor for the beautiful ward, Ward 6. I want to do my introduction a little bit differently, friends. I think we've all grown weary of scripted responses from politicians. So instead of approaching it that way, I instead want to take this time to share what the people of Ward 6 have been telling me over the last few months. The last 18, 19 months, folks, have been difficult. Folks are understandably concerned and upset about the economic downturn, and they're dealing with a lot of anxiety, if not for themselves, then for their loved ones. And folks, that's why I'm running, because on top of all that, I routinely hear feedback from folks that at times they haven't always felt that their counselor has listened to them. So tonight, I'm here to present you with my vision for a better Ward 6 and an optimistic and energetic approach for our future. Thank you very much, and I look forward to getting to know you throughout the evening. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Lana. Richard, one-minute opening statements to you whenever you're ready. Oh, you're muted, Richard. Hello, thank you very much, Chris, and good to see you again, Lana. I'm running because I'm extremely passionate about Calgary and the potential it offers for our future. I think we're all extremely fortunate to live in a town with so many opportunities, and I'm here to make sure that we take full advantage of all of those opportunities. I, too, have been at the door since July, spoken with thousands of people, and hearing some of the same messages. We are not optimal right now in terms of our economic performance, and my background and experience in business and the public sector, I think, are perfectly suited to helping the city recover from its troubled times, but more importantly, to embrace the future and take advantage of the opportunities together so that we can all thrive. Thank you. Perfect. Now we will turn to the topics of tonight's debate. Once I pose the question, each candidate will have two minutes to respond to each question. Again, this will be in alphabetical order, but this time starting with Richard. Richard, question one, and this is on the topic of budget and taxes. And this question was posed by Susan. Some people believe that budget shortfalls and tax rates are often at the whim of elections. For example, in 2020, property taxes increased by over 13%, while this year, in an election year, the increase was zero. How will you, as a city councillor, ensure that there is a sustainability and consistency around budgets and taxes? Whenever you're ready, two minutes. 
Great question. And, and it's certainly been observed before. Sometimes these tax rates are influenced by political needs and interests, and that's actually a very poor way of managing the city. I think it's also wise to make sure that the city is properly funded and all the operations that it takes to maintain our quality of life and look after people and maintain the ability of our city's economy to provide opportunities is allowed to continue and, and do extremely well for all citizens. Right now, I believe our pressures are to keep tax rate increases to an absolute minimum. Uh, some say increase the tax base, not the tax rate. I think there's a lot of merit to that because I think we're focusing sometimes on the wrong thing. The tax rate is important to many people, but more importantly is what results are we getting from that tax rate? And are we providing the right services to the right people in the right way at the right time? That's where skill and experience in business and in the public sector are important to have. And I think we'll come back to this topic. I've got a lot more to say about it, but how much more time do I have, Chris? You have one more minute whenever you continue on if you want. There, there are many other ways to continue the discussion of budget and taxes. I think one of the key elements that it never gets the attention it deserves is the so-called fiscal imbalance that Calgary suffers with other orders of government, the federal and provincial levels. We have lost almost $50 billion over the past 23 years. That's almost $2 billion a year that we send outside the city that never gets recouped in terms of funding or services provided. So for context, $2 billion a year is 50% of our $4 billion operating budget. So while we sometimes focus on the minutia, keeping our eye on the big picture of adjusting the structural relationship between orders of government is probably a more fruitful avenue to pursue. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Richard. Lana, two minutes to yourself whenever you're ready. Well, was it Susan who asked the question, Chris? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, Susan, my name's Lana. It's nice to meet you, and thank you so much for your question. As a person who lives in the Triglen area, certainly I myself have been subject to fluctuations in residential tax, and I would agree with you, Richard, that we can no longer have a taxation that fluctuates uh, depending on where we are in an election cycle. Susan, I think we need to have a serious conversation about taxes in Calgary, and we need to have a serious conversation about sustainable growth in Calgary. For many years, we've put a heavy, heavy burden on our business community, and though we have seen a close in that delta, that tax increase has now been shifted to residential homeowners, and that's not really satisfying them either. Now, we need to look at how we move forward, and I do agree that we should be looking at where our tax dollars go. Nearly 40% of every dollar of property tax, Susan, goes to Edmonton. It goes to the provincial government. And as you can see in my platform, I intend on advocating, and I intend on doing so in the most collaborative and respectful manner, but I do intend on advocating for us to re-examine how much money is going to the provincial government. And furthermore, what value are we getting for the, for the way that we spend our tax dollars now? So if we look at the burden that has historically been placed, um, it has sat with the core. And now that we have a downtown vacancy rate that is quite unprecedented, this is not a sustainable system. So what I would like to do is do a thorough review of our taxes. And I think we need to come up with a longer term solution because what we're doing right now isn't working. In 2020, the city council approved a $13 million withdrawal from our rainy day fund. We simply can't keep having short term method. We simply can't have short term solutions like that as over time they pile up and we're going to pay for it in the future. So I'm all for a thorough tax review and looking at long term solutions rather than managing and mitigating short term crisis. Thank you for the question, Susan. Now, I, I, I'm just uh, because the, we have two candidates and they were not prepared for this switch up. But as councillors, you will have to be prepared for switch up. I will ask you this, uh, uh, Richard, Lana, would you like 30 seconds additional time or would you like to move on to the next one? Richard, 30 seconds if you wish. Yes, there's just one other element. Uh, I think um, Susan's question is, is probably the most, one of the most fundamental ones that I've heard at the doors is, is are we running the city as well as we possibly can? And what fascinates me is the number of people, retirees from the city who come up to me, middle, middle management people, people who have successful careers in social services and say, you know what, I'm very proud of my career at the city, but you know what, Richard, I still see areas where there's room to improve how we operate. And I think I'm going to spend a lot more time talking about that tonight if we have time. So thank you for the opening, Susan. 
Thank you. And Lana, 30 seconds additional to you if you wish. So with that segue, thank you for that, Richard. As somebody who has had a successful career in the social services, I think that when we look at how we're spending money, once again, we need to do a thorough review of how our tax dollars are spent. In comparison to something like the 40% that we sent to Edmonton, less than half a percent goes to affordable housing. I think if we're going to look at value, we need to do that in a consultative and collaborative process. And as somebody who has managed a healthcare unit, I understand how to manage big budgets and make responsible decisions with taxpayer dollars. Thank you. Can, do we have you? Do we have? Are we allowed to come back with a with a comment or an observation in line with? If if said? both of you agree to the uh, follow up, uh, if you both will agree to this, the great thing about doing this live, you, the viewers get to listen to this as well. Uh, what we will do is uh, each candidate will now have two minutes to respond to the first question and then one minute follow up. So that way we can continue on because we do have a lot of topics. But I will give each candidate an additional thirty seconds to respond to that, if you wish. I'd like to pick up on, thank you, thank you, Chris. I'd like to pick up on Lana's point on affordable housing. That's a key area for us to collaborate, continue to collaborate and collaborate further with the private sector. It's the affordable housing units that we need from the private sector in collaboration with the city who typically has the land. And we also have to figure out our assessment relationship because right now, a lot of the time, these projects fail because of an assessment that is unfair and unequal and unable to support an affordable housing project. Thank you. Lana, last 30 seconds to you on topic one. Lana, to you. Certainly, I'm, I'm happy to keep speaking about affordable housing, as that is an area of expertise, and I've devoted nearly 15 years of my career to it. Richard, with due respect, I think that constantly referring to the private sector isn't necessarily going to work, particularly given that we're in an economic downturn. As your counselor for Ward 6, you can count on me to advocate with other orders of government, including federal and provincial, as housing squarely falls within their mandates as well. Thank you. Thank you both. Now we will turn to topic two, and this is snow removal. Uh, two minutes, and we will start with Lana on this one. And uh, first off, I do apologize if I pronounced this last name incorrectly. Uh, I did not have a phonetic spelling, so I, I'm going to try my best here. But this question is posed by Mr. Tuketz, T-O-O-K-E-T-S, uh, Tuketz, I'm assuming. Uh, this issue, this topic is snow removal. Last year's snowfall was one of the worst I've seen in the time I've been in the city. Streets weren't cleared properly. Sidewalks weren't cleared for our seniors. And windrows were created, causing vehicles to be stuck. Will you work to ensure that this upcoming winter season snow removal is done properly? And also, and this is a two-parter question, also, if possible... What do you see as one thing the city could do this year to ensure better snow service for the money allocated? Lana, two minutes whenever you're ready. Uh, well, thank you, Mr. Tiquettes, for the question about snow removal. And I would take it one step further that beyond this being an issue of access for senior citizens, it's also an issue of access for the members of our community who are disabled. And so you are absolutely right that there is an equity issue, and we need to address it in part through allowing the residents of Ward 6 to be able to navigate our beautiful community whenever they want, including during the winter months. So there are several factors at play here, Mr. Tiquettes. First of all, there's the size of our city, how it was planned and how we execute snow removal. So given that I am an evidence-based decision maker and leader, the first thing I'd like to do is see how comparable jurisdictions who are also uh, snowy jurisdictions, how are they managing this? But the second thing Thing that we need to do, Mr. Tuquets, is in the last year, City Council did talk about, is our current snow budget too tight? Calgary is an enormous city. It is an enormous city. And the seven-day plan that we work on simply doesn't meet the needs of Calgarians, who quite often, unless you're in that top-tier level, which you wouldn't be because um, you're in a residential area, uh, snow removal can take days. So what I want to do is work with community associations to first and foremost get feedback about where are the areas 
areas that are particularly problematic. And then I do want to examine, is our current snow removal budget adequate for, for the needs of our city? As it relates to what we're doing right now, um, I think that what we can do in the short term is look at the criteria of some of the areas in Ward 6 that are particularly problematic, or I shouldn't say the criteria, but uh, we need to look at the areas that are highest priority and where there are access issues that are creating um, imminent concern for folks. Um, as your city councillor, I would absolutely look at what strategies can we use to provide some immediate relief. Um, ultimately, the snow removal for our city is part of a broader strategy, and we need to revisit that more globally, uh, including the budget, which may not necessarily be adequate. Thank you very much for the question, Mr. Tiquetz. Thank you, Lana. Uh, Richard, whenever you're ready, two minutes starts whenever you're ready. Yes, thank you very much, Mr. Duquette. It's, it's strange to be talking about winter already, but it's a timely question because the planning for this winter is already well in hand. A lot of study has been done in comparisons with other cities, Montreal in particular. One of the problems that this Calgary faces is that an extensive network of approximately 13 to 15,000 kilometers of roads that need to be plowed. And of course, after a major snowstorm, it's simply unsatisfactory how long it's been taken. One option is to consider more contracted services. It's been studied and analyzed to some extent, I believe there's more work to be done to bring in contracted services when and if we have the large event that we simply cannot have, possibly have all the equipment necessary to do the repair. But there's one particular area that I think that we can have some fun with, and that's with this, the snowy windrow that's left at the end of our driveway by our gracious greater operator who delivers this mess to be cleared by us again further. And what we have done as a city is look carefully at the gating technology that enables the plow operator to stop plowing snow back into the driveway and we recently tested for about the third or fourth time the latest technology it has not succeeded yet but that would go a long way to easing the burden especially on senior citizens to clear the heavy ice and, and gunk they call it uh, off the end of their driveway why would i propose is that we hold a competition an international competition for the technology necessary to improve the gating technology so that every grader can have a gate at the end of the blade and as they approach a driveway they lower the gate and simply do not fill the driveway with snow that would be a very successful project relatively inexpensive and if we were successful with that every ward six resident would be very grateful and i think we will have done a very successful effort for them thank you Thank you. Minute, if you wish, Lana, whenever you're ready. Well, I, I just want to highlight that here we are talking about a city budget that has become unmanageable. We have people asking for solutions and concerns about taxes going up. And I'm also hearing, Richard, you're talking about contracting out services. So to me, I do have concerns about the cost. And I think that the event that you're referring to has some merit. However, people are needing immediate relief now. I think that we need local solutions and we need to focus on what's important, which is making sure that not just our seniors, but the disabled members of our community have access this winter. The reality is we can start expecting to see snow by the time the new council is sworn in. So as the city councillor, I will take immediate action to work collaboratively with community associations to identify solutions that we can put into practice now. Thank you. Richard, if you'd like to take a minute as well, go whenever you're fine. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Duquette, for the question. The next topic is around policing. This question will start with Richard. Uh, this uh, question is from Juan. Uh, what are your views on the Calgary Police Service? And how can you, as the next councillor, ensure that there's transparency in the Calgary Police Service and that there is civilian oversight? Two minutes to you, Richard, whenever you're ready. Great question. That was from Juan. I'm not sure I heard the name correctly. Juan. A one, excuse me. I've been privileged to serve on the Calgary Police Service for a partial term in my last term in office as a councillor and learned a lot about the, the way the service works and, and the civilian control that's necessary. It's all very thoroughly and legally mandated that this Calgary Police Service is under the Calgary Police Commission, to which two members of council are elected, as well as the mayor, to serve and represent the citizens of Calgary. The boundaries of what a citizen and, and even a member of the police commission can offer are fairly defined and input and transparency are two of the key pieces that I focused on dealing with a number of issues, the complexity 
and the importance of getting it right are, are, are critical for the success of our city. Public safety remains a top three issue for the residents of Ward 6. And I think public safety will always continue to be a top of mind for a lot of our residents. I think the police chief has indicated publicly that he's open to considering alternative service delivery. And I think this will be a very important area to understand more about, and again, to rely on evidence-based data-driven decision-making. What are the answers? I don't think that we should necessarily be driven purely by budget. By the way, the police budget is $500 million a year. It's the largest single line item budget in the city budget. And I think that we have to be looking at creative ways of delivering services to, to our citizens. Uh, I think the police chief has indicated publicly in the newspapers that he's open to, to consideration for alternative delivery systems and, and opportunities. And I think that that's an, an area that I look forward to if I'm elected. That's an area I'd like to continue to pursue. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Lana, two minutes to yourself whenever you're ready. Um, thank you. And I am going to ask a member of my team just to confirm whether the police budget is 401 million or 500 million. And I think that is important because right now folks do have some concerns about making sure the police are adequately resourced. Um, so I do I, just I'm sorry, to I'm going to interrupt you here for a second, Lana. I'm not yeah. trying to be rude, but uh, if if your team cannot do that, uh, you were all given the same information. And I just want to make everyone have okay. the same information. I, I, I just I just I do. I do think 100 million dollar disparities is worth noting so yeah. as it relates uh, to what, what, what excuse me what, what disparity are we referring to so is the budget 400 million dollars richard or 500 uh, to my, my recollection it's a 500 million dollar budget okay okay, okay. i, I, I just want to make sure that the information that we have with us is what we are debating and it, it's not particularly germane to this topic it's an it's it's it remains anyway, the largest yeah. item in our budget so i I, I have paused the timer so uh lana whenever you're ready continue on Sure. Well, um, Juan, thank you for the question about the police. And I think as it relates to civilian oversight, that, that is the role of the Calgary Police Commission. Um, and so that is an independent body that is intended to provide uh, civilian oversight. Now, I think as it relates to building a collaborative relationship um, with the police, I think that we need to bring all the stakeholders to the table and come up with um, solutions uh, that not only meet the needs of people in Ward 6, but the police as well. So Juan, you asked for our personal stances um, on the police. Um, I've done some great work with the Calgary Police Service as a civilian, uh, working with them collaboratively to deliver programming in the area of domestic violence. And I've also worked with them uh, in the area of uh, housing and permanent supportive housing. And so I myself have had really positive working relations with the police that really just reinforces uh, that there is an appetite to work collaboratively and partner with community groups um, to create effective results. So as it relates to the transparency um, of the police, I, I need to understand that question a bit better, Juan. But if you're asking what steps would I take to develop a relationship as somebody who has worked with the Calgary Police Service collaboratively and as somebody who hears feedback from communities who don't always feel that their needs are met by the Calgary Police Service, I think I can play a unique role in helping to facilitate those relationships and to build bridges. Because I think fundamentally, we all want the same thing, which is to feel safe in our community and to feel like our opinion matters and to feel like we can count on each other. Thank you. Richard, a minute to yourself for follow-up and then we will go back to Lana. Minute uh, one area where we had tremendous success through my two terms on council in Ward 6 was with community associations working collaboratively with the police service through Facebook initiatives as a platform for community safety and community um, attention, shall we say, and crime prevention. And the police were very enthusiastic. We had as many as two and 300 people in rooms gathered to hear what how the police would support the activities of the community as they emerged with sometimes a thousand members on Facebook all looking out for each other, making sure doors were locked, making sure that everything was safe for them and that those who were misbehaving were quickly re reported to the police, which is what the police want. We're not looking for vigilantism, of course. We're looking for an, another information source for the police to rely on their community. And frankly, very much appreciated by the residents who learned how they could protect themselves through their own initiatives. Lana, one minute to yourself whenever you're ready. Sure. One of the things that I believe is really important for complex systems to work well on is the idea of right person, right job. Quite often our police, our police services engage to respond to issues 
that are outside of their scope as police officers. And so as your next city councillor, I want to support right person, right job, responding at the right time. There are some issues where we absolutely need engagement with the police service, but for other issues that could be addressed through community development and a social response, I think we need to explore that as well. Not only will that relieve financial pressure on using our most expensive crisis resources, but it's also better for long-term impact. What we want is long-term safety and stability in our communities, and you don't necessarily get that through engaging crisis services, but you get it through working collaboratively together using evidence-based community development and community engagement strategies. Thank you, Juan. Thank you, Lana. Thank you, Richard. Uh, I do want to take a moment and uh, apologize. I, I do not want that my me to be the moderator to become the story like the federal debate. So I will try to stay out as much as possible. So I do apologize for that. Uh, this is uh, topic four, and this question is going to be posed directly to Lana Bentley first. And as you can imagine, COVID-19 is a hot topic right now. So this is a hybrid question. So this came from multiple people and we took a lot of the questions that they asked and we put them all together. With the fourth wave of COVID-19 upon us and one of your first acts as the new city council will be to pass a budget, how do you envision the city of Calgary working towards an economic recovery that does not come on the backs of businesses and also its citizens. Two minutes to yourself, Lana, whenever you're ready. Chris, there was a lot in there. Could I trouble you to repeat the question, please? No problem. With the fourth wave <laughs> of COVID-19 upon us and one of the first acts as a new city council will be to pass a budget how do you envision the city of Calgary working towards a economic recovery that does not come on the backs of businesses and its citizens? So whenever you're ready, two minutes. Um, point taken. Um, and I think that that is obviously a, a serious concern for us is not how not only how do we recover from the pandemic, but rather than going back to normal, how do we move forward in a way that we're future fit? And we also need to build in resilience to the future economy of Calgary. I think that over the years, we've all seen that our, econ our economy is vulnerable to boom and bust cycles, and the pandemic certainly exacerbated that. So I think in terms of how does the city do this, I would actually say it's not just the city of Calgary. I think we need to partner and collaborate with all the business expertise that we have in the city, including the Chamber of Commerce, Calgary Economic Development, and the social profit sector as well, who have been walking alongside some of the most financially vulnerable uh, throughout the last 18 months. Calgary Economic Development Council, they did have a response that was respond, rebuild, recover. And I think they've actually laid out a really good roadmap for how we can move forward. And I want to emphasize, I'm not just interested in recovery for the short term, but I think what this pandemic has given us an opportunity to, to do is to consider future fit industries for Calgary. I think the city of Calgary can play a lead role in partnering with different experts to help us incentivize those businesses that represent industries of the future. So technology, the creative sector, and of course, renewable energy. And we're hearing the message loud and clear, Chris, that people want to see our economy as it moves forward be future fit. We cannot be future proof because unfortunately we can't predict what's going to happen. But I think our city has already taken some really good steps to start engaging and partnering with all those subject matter experts to explore future fit industries, as well as how we can incentivize those industries to come set up shop in Calgary. And beyond economic solutions, Calgary is a wonderful city that's highly livable and we can make it the most modern, vibrant and dynamic city to attract talent and help people build a life here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. Two minutes to yourself whenever you're ready, unless you want me to repeat the question and I'm happy to do that. If yes, you if you could repeat the question, please. And who's no the question problem. from? 
This was from yeah. multiple people. So a lot of people asked about economic recovery on the backs of businesses, on the backs of citizens. So we've taken about eight questions about economic recovery and put them into one hybrid question. With the fourth wave of COVID-19 upon us, and one of the first acts as a new city council will be to pass a budget, how do you envision the city of Calgary working towards an economic recovery that does not come on the backs of businesses and its citizens? Whenever you're ready, two minutes. Thank you for the question. I think the recovery is done in partnership with the private sector and all the various agencies that work together from tourism to Calgary Economic Development to the Convention Centre, a host of promotional agencies working together in a common strategy. Calgary Economic Development often takes the lead in such initiatives and works closely with their advisory councils as to identifying where the bottlenecks are and where the problems are. And as a small example, an advisory committee might identify a shortage of 50-year-old people, mid-level executives that can manage a team of programmers. There might be a skills shortage there. Working together with industry, a city can save years of a company searching for people in around the world and seeking talent and simply go to and set up recruitment fairs overseas as necessary in North America if possible. So a very active business engaged with uh, economic development is an, probably a key, a key element to our successes in for our economic future. I think we have to be careful about incentivizing. We've established a $200 million fund to fund operations, seriously considering what we should be looking at. If it indeed becomes a competitive business sub subsidized by the city, it's a little more difficult investment to make. Incentivizing against a company that has perhaps been in, in the city for generations is not necessarily fair. So we tend to be very um, apprehensive about labeling our support as an incentive. It's typically working together with industry and expertise that can be found throughout the sectors of the economy and bringing those together and everything from agribusiness to fintech, finance, a wide range of industries that have showed tremendous promise for us. I think one of the things we want to do is bring back an open for business mentality to the city to ensure that investors notice that and become part of that situation of an improved open for business attitude and frankly send a message to uh, administration that we can perhaps not worry about dotting every I and crossing every T on every deal that we in fact are open for business and, and, and full throttle to, towards that goal. Perfect. Thank you, Richard. Uh, I'm assuming you will want one minute to respond to both of you. Uh, Lana, one minute if you wish. Yes, thank you, Chris. You assumed correctly. So as we talk about the economic recovery, uh, for those of you who've taken the time to visit my website, lanabentley.ca, you'll also see that what I want to do as we look at the economic recovery is look at the economic recovery for Calgary's women. Women have been disproportionately negatively impacted by COVID-19. And I think that part of our economic recovery must include an analysis and looking at solutions to ensure that the most precariously employed and those who are among the most vulnerable to have to lose their jobs to automation and technological advancements, we need to make sure that we're also attending to the needs of those folks as well. Our economy can only go as fast as its slowest participants. And so for me, also supporting women's economic recovery is very important. And I would also say that I do understand the importance that childcare plays in women in the workforce. And you can count on me to be a strong advocate to support all measures that will help women be, women be full participants in Calgary's future fit economy. Thank you. Richard, if you wish, another minute to yourself. Yes, I would, I would add that uh, I believe every member of our economy, every member of our of Ward 6, every resident of Ward 6, and everybody who lives in Calgary has to be included in any recovery. I don't think that it's possible for a city or an economy to thrive unless everyone is participating. I'll just leave it at that for the moment. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Lana. Topic number five, you guys are getting through these pretty quickly. We might have to go to a rapid fire session here. Uh, topic number five is around businesses. And this question is posed by Sandra. How will you, uh, this is to Richard first, Richard, how will you help our struggling businesses community in Ward 6 and across the city? And a follow up to that. Can you tell us if your campaign has sourced local businesses for any campaign related material? Richard, whenever you're ready. 
Yes, thank you. I, I think I've sourced almost exclusively everything we uh, we have on the campaign from local businesses. So that yes, that's an important part of of what we do, and feel keenly aware as a former retailer myself with six stores, keenly aware of the situation that many retailers are facing themselves at West Hills Shopping Centre, Strathcona, West Eighty Fifth. I know a lot of those people are friends that operate those operations, and they are struggling. One of the solutions is to adjust the assessment role. Right now, our assessed value for homes is market driven, but we only have a minimal number of classifications we can use to help differentiate between a business revitalization zone, for example, with hundreds of small businesses and an energy building. In fact, in some cases, they're in the same classification for non-residential property tax. That's an enormous burden for those operations to, to bear. And if the city can work closely with the, with the province to change the legislation, we have opportunities to enter, on my estimate, as many as 15 different categories of assessment and work with those to offer opportunities to businesses that are struggling in geographic areas, nature of the business, whether they're in an industrial park or a commercial area. We, we have none of those tools at our disposal. And it's well overdue that the cities start to avail themselves of some of the opportunities to treat businesses more fairly through using the assessment system, which is a powerful tool to stimulate business. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Lana, two minutes whenever you're ready. Thank you, Sandra, for the question. And yes, uh, to one of your questions about have I sourced materials from local vendors, the answer is yes. Um, all of our campaign signage is made right here in Calgary uh, by a wonderful uh, business. And as well, um, most of our volunteer recognition items come from uh, local uh, stores here as well, some of which are located in Ward 6. So uh, so first of all, my dad, run, he ran a small business. He retired recently, but he ran a small business. So I got an up-close and personal look um, at what it takes to run a small business in Calgary. And thank you to those of you who have been working tirelessly throughout the pandemic to keep the keep your doors open. So in terms of what makes it tougher for businesses to thrive in Calgary, I think there's two things. Number one, I think there's taxes. And then number two, I think there's permits. So as I've said earlier, I do think that we need to do a comprehensive tax review and ensure that we're getting the right revenue from the right streams in the right proportions to make Calgary an attractive and competitive place to do business. And I have connected with thought leaders in our business community who have said that what they want is a city council that understands the challenges that businesses are facing and exercises and demonstrates a willingness to listen. I also think as it relates to the permit process, we have heard from some small business owners that this is onerous. And over the last 18 months, as businesses have frantically tried to pivot their operations to meet the moment and be creative and sustain operations, we know that it's been tougher for them to do that. For example, folks who tried to get patio permits so that they could move their restaurant businesses outside. So what I would like to do is work in coordination with those thought leaders to identify while maintaining public safety and public good, what are the regulatory processes that we can look at expediting um, either through just reworking them entirely or using technology and innovative solutions to help business owners get from point A to B faster? So um, I appreciate the question and please know that supporting small business is important to me uh, for personal reasons because it runs in the family and for you as well in Ward 6. Thank you, Lana. Uh, a minute, uh, if you wish, Richard. Um, I I'm fine. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Lana, one minute, if you wish, or are you, are you okay with going on to the next question? Um, well, Chris, I, I would just ask, were there any supplementary questions connected to that, that people wrote in with that you want to ask or there, there, there might be a few later on in our rapid fire questions, but okay, we, okay. we've covered gotcha. most of the business questions right now. Okay. Topic okay. number six, and this is the guidebook for great communities. This question is posed to Lana first, and this question is from Sanjeet. Have you read the guidebook for great communities? And the follow-up to that is, how will you ensure that more public engagement is done on large decisions like this one? Two minutes whenever you're ready. Um, hi, Sanjeet. Uh, the answer is 
yes, I have read some of the guidebook and I believe now it's called the guidebook for local area planning. Um, I think like many Calgarians, uh, it was a long document and very densely packed with at times what I perceived as technical information. So um, Sanjeet, yes, I am familiar with the guidebook. I am familiar with the premise of it. And I do know that the guidebook was intended to be a tool that was supposed to be a bridge to help Calgarians get all the things that we want, which is well-planned communities. Um, and I also think helping folks who are at different stages of their life uh, live and participate in communities. So um, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Um, and you know, uh, the rollout of the guidebook now renamed, um, it wasn't it wasn't well done, let's be honest. And I think that the way that that process unfolded um, didn't feel good. And I think that part of the challenge with the guidebook is that over the last 18 months, home has become more than home. It has become school. It's become where we work. And so where we live has come to take on even more meaning and importance. And the thought that that might be under threat is absolutely scary. And I understand that. I also hear from folks in Ward 6 that they don't want to necessarily um, well, I should, I should rephrase that. Folks in Ward 6 want to know that their opinions are being considered in a thoughtful way. And so Sanjeet, uh, with a background in social work, I, I have a lot of expertise and experience as it relates to community engagement. And one of the things that people often say makes them want to vote for me is that I'm a good listener who's able to integrate information from across the continuum. For me, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Our city is growing. We know that it has that uh, that things have to change and evolve. The question is, how can we approach those conversations in a respectful manner? I have a lot of experience engaging community, and I'll bring that to council on your behalf. Thank you, Lana, Richard. Two minutes to you whenever you're ready. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Sanjeet, for the question. Um, the guidebook uh, has had a, a difficult time getting through council and getting through the media and getting to the public where it should have been a, a warm welcome. It, it has not been well handled. And I think there's a lot of room for us to think about how we could do better the next time. My proposal would be to start with a whole discussion and go right back to Imagine Calgary Days in a municipal development plan. I'm not confident that when the public signed on for density, they understood what the implications were going to be. I think the public engagement process needs to be revisited. I think we have to assess whether or not the benefits and the desirabilities of density are being properly presented to the public for their consideration. I've shared or been part of or been at the table for dozens of typically angry meetings, uh, mainly east of Sarsi Trail, frankly, in the Triglan in particular, when everything from a duplex is proposed to a six-story residential complex with 50 units. It typically aggravates citizens to a level that even the CA gets worried about sometimes. And sometimes I've been at more than a few meetings where securities had to be called in. And sometimes we start the meetings with security present because of past meetings. This is clearly a volatile, challenging environment for all of us. And I think that until we go back to first principles, I understand, for instance, that sometimes the tax revenue isn't as fabulous as one would have anticipated after redevelopment and that we are not gaining density points, particularly with the secondary suite issue. So in other words, the sorts of things we're doing aren't entirely consistent with our overall goals as a city. And I think it's very, very important that we spend time to assess how that is possible. And in order to do that, I think it's important to go back to first principles, truly what's the benefit cost of density and why should we have it and what communities should be expecting it to come their way soon and what other communities perhaps not so much. And should there be those sorts of differences made? I'm not, sure, I'm not so sure we should be discriminating that way. We have, the fact that we're even asking these questions tells me there's a lot more work to be done. Thank so, you. So, no, thank you both. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a liberty here to re-ask part of the question that I feel like uh, needs to be addressed a little bit more in depth. And that will, that is, how will you ensure more public engagement happens on projects like this. So I want to know specifically, how will you ensure that public engagement happens? Well, it's great that we just talked about the guidebook for great communities or how whatever it's called in this iteration. But I, I think uh, Sanjeet wants to also know about public engagement. So I will give you two minutes for to respond to this as well. But I want to just uh, reiterate public engagement. So two minutes, Lana, whenever you're ready. 
Um, and Chris, thank you for refocusing. Um, I, I appreciate that. Um, so I do think first and foremost, Sanjeet, I live in the Triglan area, meaning I live in a community where densification is a real concern. And as a result, I do think that I, I do think that I bring a unique credibility to these sorts of discussions because it's communities like mine that are being directly impacted. The other thing I would say, Sanjeet, and I, I hear you and, and I, I, I feel the frustration around this, is that we need to make sure that public engagement is not performative. In other words, this is not a box that we check in saying the meeting occurred. This is not about activities. It's about meaningful achievement and impact. So there's a few things that I think we need to do differently. And number one is I think we need to respect the fact that Calgarians have great feedback and good input to give us when the information is being presented to them in a manner that is digestible. People are very busy. And I think that the length of the guidebook and the complexity of the language used in it may have been a barrier for some who just simply wanted to understand what does this mean for my home and what does this mean for the future of my neighborhood so when i was training to be a therapist I, I asked, you know, what is what is the best question that a therapist can ask? And my mentor said, whatever the client understands, we need to talk to Calgarians in a clear, transparent manner. We need to give people a variety of different ways to participate in those conversations. I think the pandemic has shown us that Zoom is a good tool for people who may not necessarily be able to come out to community forums. But I think that we need to engage people in multiple different communication modes. And I think that we as counselors, it's our job to make sure that people have all the information that they need to make informed decisions and to participate in meaningful ways. So Sanjeet, I have experience coming to community meetings and I'm happy to engage with folks across multiple different communication platforms to ensure that everybody has an opportunity to be heard. Thank you. Thank you, Lana. Richard, back to you. And again, I will just reiterate, how will you ensure more public engagement is done on large decisions like this? Richard, two minutes whenever you're ready. Yes, I think it's something that comes from the council floor and council makes it very clear what their desires are to administration whose mandate is to follow those instructions and policies and strategies as presented by council, typically started with something called a notice of motion at council. And we, we would make it very clear those sorts of things that we were after and the sorts of decisions we were seeking from the public. It, it has a lot to do with the information that's provided, but it also has a lot to do with listening to the needs of the, of the resident and what are their needs, what is going to make them happy in their community, and what are their visions. Some, some communities have visions of a moat around their community so that there's never anything, and not even a tree to be cut down. Everything remains the same, and, and, and that may or may not be a realistic expectation of our city or any community for that matter. So I think we have to really go back to first principles and even beyond sort of the nature of information that's provided. I would start it the other way around. I would listen to what the people have to say and get them to tell us what their priorities are and listening to the people carefully, because by now, community associations in particular often have, as they do in the Trigland, each one of them has an extremely sophisticated and capable um, development committee, and they understand the questions that they, I'm not sure, have been asked for their input at this level yet. And I think that's one of the key things that will change to do. So it's not about providing information to them. It's about extracting from them their, their collective wisdom and let that guide the process from there. Thank you. Thank you, Sanchez. Great questions. Thank you both of you for uh, uh, indulging me in that follow-up because I just wanted to make sure that both of those were answered because I know it is a big topic, like a big document. Now, as the next city councillor, you will have to think on your feet. I have uh, a few other questions that are going to be sort of a rapid fire. Yet again, two minutes. These were also posed by the residents of Ward 6 in the city of Calgary. So if you don't mind, I'm going to ask the follow-up questions because we've gone through our six topics that I had prepared you for, but you guys have all been on time and we still got a few minutes before we can do closing statements. So this question is going to be posed to Mr. Putzman first. Uh, Putzman, sorry. Uh, and this is the issue of what uh, this question was uh, posed by Stephen. sorry and this is a personal question what is the biggest issue you believe is facing the people of ward six today richard whenever you're ready two minutes the biggest decision faced by residents in ward six biggest today. issue biggest oh, issue biggest you issue believe oh, i thought you said decision Sorry, biggest issue you believe facing the people of Ward 6, and that is posed by Stephen. 
whenever you're ready, two minutes. You know, we've been to 30,000 doors and spoken to, no, excuse me, 13,000 doors, excuse me, 13,000 doors to listen very carefully to people. Uh, I, I suggest there are three key issues um, really difficult to prioritize them. Um, I think jobs and the economy are at that at the top, along with along with public safety. I think those would be the top two that I would mention at the top of my mind. And ensuring vulnerable people have access to services comes up frequently as well. So those would be the top three. Reluctant to choose one over the other, I think. And, and more interestingly, perhaps all of those fit together in, in, in very important and critical ways. A jobless person has a separate set of needs than those that are successfully employed at the moment. And I think we have to make sure we look after everybody in the community and one impacts the other. I just want to, I'm going to add on to this question for Stephen here, just to make sure that you have the time because you still have a minute and 20 seconds left, but how will you address that one issue? How will you address the issue that you, the three issues you've just raised as the next city councilor for ward six continue on Richard. My, my, my interest in business has always been business development. My career in the public sector has been a lot with Calgary economic development where I was the senior business development manager. So I am a believer that we can't, allow ourselves the growth through successful economic development policies, continuing to support Calgary economic development properly, and perhaps even expand its role in the city and taking a leadership role amongst all the various agencies to make sure that we establish ourselves for the next generation. And major projects are a part of that. The Green Line, the Event Centre, all of these projects are an important part of the economy, which will not only generate jobs and activity, but be part of an economic development package that attracts investment and talent, frankly, from around the world. Those, that's, the, that's the dimension I'd be considering. Thank you. Perfect. Lana, two minutes to yourself. And Stephen's question yet again is, what is the biggest issue you believe facing the people of Ward 6? And then just to make sure that you get the exact same question that I just posed to Richard as well, how will you address it as the next city councilor for Ward 6 whenever you're ready? Two minutes. Sure. Um, I think there's two ways that we can look at this, Steve. So number one, in a recent citizen engagement survey that was conducted in Ward 6, the biggest issue that actually came up was traffic. And that had to do with both road maintenance, traffic calming, snow removal, and traffic safety. That issue has come up a number of different times when I've been at the doors. So traffic in a recent citizen engagement survey was identified as the number one issue for people in Ward 6. Following that was also concerns related to COVID-19. Now, I think if we look at those concerns related to COVID-19, that covers a vast expanse of concerns. Not only has COVID-19 hugely impacted and disrupted our economy, but we know that in the wake of COVID-19, we've seen problems with mental health, domestic violence, and we've also seen disruption to family systems, given the pressure that parents are facing to have to homeschool their children. So when we look at the issue of COVID-19 and how to recover from that, an economic lens simply will not be enough. And I would also say that there is an economic argument to be made for attending to each of the issues that I just named. We know that it can cost up to $50,000 per annum, for example, to support somebody with taxpayer dollars who does not have a roof over their head. We know that domestic violence is among one of the most disruptive and costly issues to our community, both financially and with the devastating impact that it has on lives and families. So if we're looking at those issues, COVID-19, economic anxiety related to that, and then at the more local level, traffic and safety. I would also say that folks in Ward 6 have said that they want to have access to good recreation and public spaces to gather. And I would also add to that that folks in Ward 6 have said to me at any rate that thinking about a more resilient economy is important to them as well. So also considering issues like climate change and how we can develop a future fit economy that not only benefits Calgarians now, but will help us to attract younger workers to build a life here. Thank you. Now, I will give both of you one minute to uh, follow up as well, if you wish. If not, we will move on to the last question before we go into the closing statements. Richard, uh, one minute. I'm okay. If you wish. Lana, I'm okay. are you okay with moving on to the last question then? Yeah, for sure, Chris. I'm okay with that. Get, Thank you. The last question is, uh, I, I, I apologize. I don't want to pronounce this name incorrectly. Uh, and I believe it was a... I just don't want to pronounce this incorrectly, so I'm not even going to try. And it was only the first name that was submitted. Due to COVID-19, 
there has been a rise in mental health support services being used. How will you ensure residents still have access to these services in the future? Uh, this question will be posed to Richard first, as the last one was posed. Wait, oh, to, sorry, I just want to make sure. To Lana first, I apologize. Lana, two minutes to yourself. <laughs> well, Richard, you looked like you were about to start. Do you want to go? No, you go ahead. I've concluded okay. my thoughts. Thank you, Lana. Um, so obviously mental health is in my wheelhouse. Um, I'm a proud former employee of Alberta Health Services where I worked for 10 years in child, child and adolescent mental health. Um, I managed a psychiatric inpatient unit as well as an emergency room. The question is absolutely correct. We know that in the wake of a pandemic or a natural disaster, there are three major buckets of mental health concerns that we can predict will occur. Number one is substance abuse. Number two would be mood disorders. And finally, anxiety resulting from stress. The good news is, folks, is that we also have a lot of great information about community development and prevention strategies that we can fund through the city. The city of Calgary does fund a variety of different uh, social programs, but the mandate of those programs is preventative in nature. When it comes to providing acute care responses and engaging psychiatry, that actually falls under the umbrella of the provincial government through Alberta Health Services. So I want to do two things. We know that one of the bedrock pieces of good mental wellness is when people live in strong communities where they have access to exercise, nutrition, and they have ongoing engagement with their neighbors. And we call that social inclusion. Funding those sorts of programs is not only infinitely cheaper than investing more in crisis supports, which once again, I will say, do not fall under the mandate as it relates to mental health of your municipal government. But what your municipal government can do is continue to fund really high performing prevention-based mental health social inclusion programs. So in short, I know how to do that. I've done it for years and I'm happy to bring that experience to city council with the end goal of engaging all the local expertise that we have in Calgary. Um, our city has a wealth of people who are already doing amazing prevention community-based community delivery here in town. I know these folks and I'm happy to activate those resources and networks so that we can have made in Ward 6 solutions and support each other through this crisis. Thank you. Richard, two minutes to yourself. Can I have the question again, please? You certainly can. Due to COVID, due to COVID nineteen, there has been a rise in mental health support services used. How will you ensure residents still have access to these services in the future? Thank you. Thank you for the question. It, it it's amazing to me how the COVID experience has changed the demands on the city unexpected demands on park services, for instance, as a mental health issue, um, uh, uh, troubling the most dangerous and volatile circumstances for a police service attending to a domestic violence call. So departments of the city are requiring more investment and other areas such as transit are requiring perhaps less investment. And transit is perhaps a good example of working with technology for on-demand service for some of the feeder systems. So I think that there's an opportunity here to, with, with experience and expertise in running the city to understand how we rebalance in response to COVID and post-COVID with, a, with a, a heavy interest in, in how mental health will be supported. The mayor has taken an interest in mental health issues and contributed significantly. But there's another dimension to this that I think we have to pay attention to as well. And Alana, uh, Alana and sort of alluded to it. And where, where the line is where the, where the province takes over and I would say on a monthly basis, in my experience, the province retreats from the services it provides, especially in health services, and leaves the issue of what to do with, with, with um, emergency services for overdosing on the streets. We, the city ended up bearing some of that responsibility. And, there, and I think the, the correct question often is, is that an appropriate use of city municipal funds? Of course, as humans, we want to look after each other, but we're not, we don't, we're not funded to do that kind of work typically. And so where does that funding come from? It comes from the municipal tax base. And I think I have to take a look at that and understand maybe we need to have a bigger conversation. And maybe it's desirable that the city take a deeper dive into those issues. And probably is. We're closer to the circumstances. And Lana would know that far better equipped sometimes to perform and execute and help people. But we're not funded to do it. So a negotiation probably would be to start with Edmonton and say, okay, I don't think you're particularly interested in helping with us with this issue locally, but for God's sakes, please give us the funding. 
Uh, if you wish one minute to follow up and then we will go into closing statements, Lana, would you wish for a minute? Um, sure. Um, I think when it comes to mental health, this is an issue where we all know somebody who's been directly impacted by that, or perhaps there's folks on this meeting tonight who've been impacted by it themselves. <laughs> I think that when it comes to creating good mental function folks, there's a lot that we can do right in our own communities. One of the things that allows mental health problems to thrive is isolation. The more connected our communities are, then the more we can connect with each other and have early identification of problems and for people to connect with adequate social supports to catch them early enough that they don't have their mental health concern come in to come, come to be a full-blown mental health disorder. I think that your city council has the most direct impact on your day-to-day -day life and the neighborhoods that we live in. So there is a role for us to play in terms of leadership at the community level. And I will certainly be a strong advocate for exploring those cost-effective and community-based solutions. People in Ward 6 want to support their neighbor, and I'm going to help them do just that as we recover from this pandemic. Thank you. Thank you. And Richard, one minute to yourself, and then closing statements whenever you're ready, if you wish. Um, no, I'm fine. Thank you. OK, perfect. Now we will be heading into our closing statements. Uh, these will be two minutes in length and, uh, length, and they will be in reverse alphabetical order. And Richard, uh, you start. Two minutes, closing statement, whenever you're ready. And before you start, I will ask this, uh, because it seemed like Ward 11 forgot to do this during our debate, but if you can tell people where they can contact you afterwards, because we got a few people asking where you where they where you can reach out if they want to ask a follow up question. So, Richard, do your closing statement, but also add in where they can reach out to you as well. Well, let's start with that. And Richard for Ward Six dot com is my website with lots of connected, lots of um, telephone numbers and email addresses. You can contact me through it. Richard for Ward Six dot com number four number six. Um, I'm here to present my 28 years of business entrepreneurial success, 13 years of public sector experience, and seven years as a councillor as a tremendous asset group for um, contributing at the new council. I look forward to mentoring new members and will commit to do so, as I was actually mentored by Gordon Lowe and Dale Hodges, and it makes a huge difference for the first year or two to have a mentor at City Council. There are no other guide, there are no guidebooks or textbooks to tell you how to work at City Council. It is hard work and it needs proper mentorship for new, new members of council. I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak with you tonight. Thank you. I look forward to uh, uh, the election day when I hopefully favored by your voting to serve on council again as your representative at City Hall. We have a number of ideas for Ward 6, but we didn't discuss in more detail were some of the thoughts about the overpass at Bow Trail and Sarsi Trail, for example. We already have approval after a lengthy public engagement process for the Richmond Road overpass at Sarsi, but we also are looking keenly at the Bow Trail overpass, and that will alleviate traffic issues significantly. One of the issues we're considering is should the city go ahead with that before it is done, before it's known whether the West Ring Road will alleviate some of the north-south traffic on Sarsi and making an overpass at Bow Trail, perhaps not necessarily in the immediate future. Those are the sorts of issues I look forward to tackling very quickly at City Hall. Thank you very much. Still had a few seconds, but great to be brief and to the point. Uh, Lana, two minutes to yourself whenever you're ready. Uh, well, Chris, first of all, thank you for hosting this event. In the fourth wave, I think you've uh, helped to bring democracy into people's living rooms. So with great gratitude, thank you very much. If you'd like to reach me, it's lanabentley.ca, L-A-N-A-B-E-N-T-L-E-Y.ca. And my team and I would be more than happy to respond to one of your emails. Folks, thank you for coming tonight. Our city, Calgary, is at a crossroads. And friends, we know that what worked yesterday simply won't work for tomorrow. Your next representative needs to have the energy, enthusiasm, and commitment to see us through a transformative phase in our city's history. Tonight, I think I've laid out and talked about my vision for Calgary and how I will represent your best interests at City Hall. But one of the best pieces of advice that I can give to you actually comes from my opponent, Richard. When Richard retired from politics in 2017 in a CBC interview, he said, it's, I think, time perhaps for some fresh eyes, fresh blood to come to City Council and look at issues a bit differently. Friends, 
I'm those fresh eyes and I'm that fresh blood. And I look forward to having your support on October 18th and becoming your next city councillor for Ward 6. Thank you very much. You guys are well, you guys are ready for this. Um, hi, uh, I wanna thank the candidates. It's me now, thank the candidates for taking time out of their campaign to do this tonight. But I also want to take the, the uh, moment and thank you, the voters who are watching. Democracy can only happen if we have candidates and voters. By taking time out of your night to watch this debate or listen to it at a later time, you have done the first step towards ensuring our democracy survives. As I've said in the past, and I will say it again until October 18th, vote. Take 90 minutes out of your day, educate yourself on the candidates for mayor, for councillor, for school board trustee, for Senate, and vote. Vote for the person you want to represent you for the next four years. Just a reminder that advanced voting starts in one week time, October 4th, and runs until October 10th. Election day is Monday, October 18th. Now, we will be back Wednesday night at 7 p.m. again with candidates for Ward 2 here in the city of Calgary. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Have yourself a safe and hopefully relaxing Monday night. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Have yourself thank you, everybody. Thank you, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Chris, for a great talk.